Hey, good morning, and uh, welcome. I'm dropping everything all over the place, but that's okay, too. <clears throat> well, it's a good day to be in church. I'm so happy to be here. Um, been a, a crazy week, man, just a, a hospital week. I was up, uh, up doing all kinds of things at the hospital this week, visiting people, and uh, <clears throat> I planned on just taking a, like a, a bag and a sleeping bag and a pillow because Mary and, and uh, my daughter-in-law, what's her name? Tiffany. Uh, they, went, they were going up into the hospital just hours apart from each other. And I was just going to plan on staying up there. And then uh, um, Mary's, uh, Mary's babies were born very quickly and I had a little bit of time in between. And uh, Zach and Tiffany told me that they were going in uh, at that night, but then they weren't, the doctors weren't expecting the baby to be born until later on the next day. And uh, I woke up on uh, thir- was Thursday morning, woke up th- Thursday morning, and I uh, got Gabriel and Michael together and got them all re- dressed and ready to go and got them on the bus. And as soon as I got them on the bus, I got a text message. It's like, she's almost here. I'm like, what? I haven't even had my Cheerios. What's going on? So I ran up and got dressed, and I went and jumped in my truck because uh, I drive a pickup truck now, not a minivan. Just wanted to remind you. <laughs> and uh, although Jonathan needs a minivan, I keep telling him that now that you've got three kids. But anyway, I digress. And I get in the truck, and I start pulling out, and all of a sudden, I get a text. She's here. I'm like, okay, great. And uh, so I didn't have to sleep on one of those couches at the hospital. So as I walked through, I started looking at couches in waiting rooms and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I slept there. I slept there. I slept there. But anyway, um, thank you for all your, your kind words. And I know Zach has said something uh, for all your support. And uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to be a grandparent. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. I really didn't have anywhere to go after that statement. You know, it was just kind of a pregnant pause. 1 Peter chapter 4. Hey, listen, in order for a church to fulfill its purpose and accomplish its goals, the individual's members of the church body must do their part by being active in some kind of ministry within the local church structure and according to the church's philosophy. That's up on the, up on the screen for you. That's a, that's a purpose. That, that's a purposeful statement. We're talking about um, what, what's next? After we've, after we've learned about what Jesus has done for us, after he, we've learned about what he's done to, to teach us how to minister and to teach us about the faith that he brought, to, to love people, to love everyone, to show grace, and, uh, and to live with integrity and character, and, and to minister from your heart, not always from your head. And, and all the things that we talked about in that series about what, G, what did Jesus do, we now come to this part that we have to take everything we've learned and put it into action. If you've, those of you who are parents and, and you've taught your child how to do something, it's, it, my, the boys, they, they love egg sandwiches in the morning now. It's like, we're the egg sandwich capital of the world. If you want an egg sandwich, come on over about 7.15 in the morning. I'll make you an egg sandwich. They're awesome. Anybody else like ketchup on their egg sandwiches? Ketchup on egg sandwiches is awesome, I guess. I don't eat egg sandwiches. Um, unless I can put hash browns and sausage on them. And uh, then I'll put some ketchup on it, maybe some corned beef hash. Uh, but once again, I digress. 
Okay. Body by John. Um, but the boys are now at that point where they're like, Daddy, can I help you? Like, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, as a parent, you're, there, you have to watch your frustration level because they haven't made an egg sandwich before and they haven't flipped the egg. And, you know, I don't want, my, I don't want eggs all over the wall because when Aaron comes in and sees that, it would be on me. I'd be the one to blame. Uh, but um, so we, we started making egg sandwiches. They wanted to flip it. And, and I had to remember that they're not going to learn how to do it unless they do it. So they had to put into practice everything that I've taught them about flipping eggs. You got to take the spatula, you got to kind of sh- shove it under there quick. That's how we used to do it at the, at the restaurants, right? Shove it out of there quick and then flip it over. And man, they did it. They did it. And, and pretty soon they're going to be able to make their own egg sandwiches so I can sleep in in the morning. And it's going to be great. It's the same, it's, it's the same thing in a, in a church situation. We've learned and we've seen what Jesus has taught us. And we've, we've come to understand the things that, that he did and he showed and he modeled for us. And it's our job now to take those things and put them into practice. And if our church is going to continue to grow, going to continue to reach people, going to continue to have an effect on our community, each individual member of the body of Christ is going to have to take responsibility and ownership of something. And when we do that, we're going to have to make sure we do it within the church structure and according to the church philosophy. You see, there's a whole lot more that goes into stuff than just simply doing things as a church. We have to be able to be all on the same page. We have to be on the same sheet of music. We have to be in in the same attitude and mindset if we're going to work together and get things done. That's called unity, right? It's called being unified. And it's important that we understand that as a church. The individual members of the church do participate in ministry according to their giftings and abilities, then the church will be successful. People will grow. People will deepen in their faith. People will come to know Jesus as their Savior, and the church will grow and continue to grow in numbers. But that's the rub there, isn't it? It all relies on individuals coming together and doing a job together. And let's be honest, and this is probably the toughest part because Everybody wants to operate within their abilities. Everybody wants to, not many people have a problem doing something that they're able to do and helping out. But it's doing it within the structure and framework of a church ministry and according to a church philosophy. That's where the rub comes in because we all want to do things our way. Well, I know how to do it better. Okay, I'm sure you, you, you may just know how to do it better. But does it fit into the way we do things here? Because we take great pains and great strides to sit down and discuss among the leadership and pray about it as to how we do things and why we do things. We do things on purpose for a purpose. Therefore, we need to make sure that everything that is done within the church is done within the framework and the philosophy of the church. Right? We, with, with Trunk or Treat, it's a great idea, man. It's a great, if you've never been to our Trunk or Treat, come on out. Even if you're not involved, seriously, just come and hang out. Nobody's going to think you're weird. Nobody's going to call the police. If, if, just don't drive a van, okay? <laughs> drive, a, drive a van with no windows. Just don't do that. 
um, but no just, come, uh, just come in and, and just walk around and just observe. It's going to be crazy. You, we'll even let you have some candy. Those things that we do, it's awesome to do it, but we don't just do it to give out candy to kids. We do it so that we can build a bridge between us and our community so that we can then cross that bridge or they can cross that bridge and we can get together and we can start a relationship. And as we start relationships, the doors will open up to share our faith with them. It may be a time of crisis in their life. It may be a time of celebration in their life. It just may be a time where they're just looking to have a coffee with somebody who want to talk and they're curious. Whatever it is, we want to build that bridge so that they are comfortable having that conversation when the time comes. So see, we do things on purpose, for purpose. That way, th therefore, whoever is in charge of that ministry knows the parameters with which to operate within as we put that ministry on. Part of the problem, too, it's not, you know, when I say something like, like that, people think, well, you know, they, they kind of take it personally and, well, don't you trust us? And, you know, that's not what it is at all, okay? As we get into this message and go a little bit deeper into this whole idea, there's going to be some things that we'll talk about that hopefully will make sense to you because we live in a day and age right now where truth has become relative, where it doesn't really matter what truth really is. Truth is up to you. If you don't like it, if you don't think it's true, then it doesn't have to be true. If you think it's true, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. It's true because everybody has their own truth and everybody can decide their own truth. And whatever is true for you is true. Can I, can I just make a statement? And this is not in sarcasm. This is not joking. This is absolutely serious. That's madness. That's absolute madness. When, you can, when everyone can define their own truth, truth is gone. And the Bible says in the book of Romans, Paul wrote, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And that's what's happening today. We're seeing people exchange God's truth for a lie. And it doesn't matter what the lie is, it's still a lie. And it doesn't matter what the truth is you're rejecting. We're rejecting truth in our society. It's amazing. Truth is being rejected over and over and over again and replaced for whatever it is you want it to be. As long as we don't offend you, it's true. It's, it's a sad state. It's a sad state to be in. Unfortunately, that mentality of truth being relative has also crossed over into the church. And many churches today are operating with an idea of relative truth. We're looking to the world for answers rather than the Bible. We're looking to the world for our answers in matters rather than looking to the Bible for answers. Listen, I'm, I, uh, I'm not a clinical psychologist. Okay, just, I'll just tell you that right off the bat. Um, but I, I do know the answers to, life's, to many of life's questions from the Word of God. And as a Christian, if we want answers to what's going on in our lives, the first place we should look is the Bible. Now, I will be the first to tell you that there are times, I believe in medicine, I believe in science, I believe in all those things. People think that because you're a Christian, because you're an evangelical, you don't believe in that. I absolutely believe in science. I just believe in true science. I don't believe, you, if you can't prove it to me, then I don't believe it. It's still a theory. But I believe that there, I, I believe, and, and here's where, here's where I, I kind of diverge from a lot of pastors. Uh, 
human beings are part of the fallen creation, right? We find out in the book of Genesis that, that sin entered the world and creation fell and creation became imperfect. Therefore, many part, that, that part of creation that is imperfect is in everything and it's in humanity as well. We now die because of sin. And there are problems in our lives because of, because of, not because you sinned, but because of the fallen nature of, human, of creation. That means that physically, we're not perfect either. If, if you've never, if you don't know me, um, if you've never heard my story, my, my whole right leg from my hip to my toes, I think that I, I really honestly believe there's more titanium there is than bone because I have so much, so many replacements and so many screws uh, from different surgeries. I'm thankful for science. I'm thankful for medical science. I can walk and I can stand up and I can not hurt because science fixed, you know, the medical science fixed that. But I also understand that uh, medication is not the answer for everything. And many of our problems and issues as Christians can be solved if we'll apply biblical principles. I'm not saying that your situation doesn't need to be taken care of by a doctor. I have two boys that, because of their biological parents, drug abuse, have ADHD, pretty bad. Um, for, for their education and their well-being and my sanity and my wife's sanity, they take medicine every morning. And what that medicine does is is bring them to a balance. It balances their biological chemicals within their body. I got no problem with that. When we don't seek answers from the Bible, I do have a problem with that. When we have issues in our lives and our first response as Christians is to go, go see somebody who doesn't know Christ or recommend to somebody to go see somebody who doesn't know Christ and will not give you scriptural, biblical answers to, to help you with your, your spiritual issue, we now have a problem. And that's where we've, that's where we've come as, as churches. We have women, we have a woman over here who's got a master's degree in counseling. We have, uh, uh, my wife is studying that. We have other people in our church that, have, that are, are counselors. They know how to approach these things from both sides even. We have not made that understandable in the church area. And because of that, we are turning to the world for answers. We solve our problems rather than praying about things as the Bible tells us to do. We will go to the world for counseling and answers. That's what I'm talking about. We've turned our back on the truth of the word of God. And we're beginning to look at leadership in a church from a CEO mentality and a business mentality. And we, we'd rather build a church through branding than we will through the word of God. Hey, listen, I'm, I've got no problem with logo. I love our logos. I love that we have an identity, but that logo didn't build this church. And that logo won't build this church. What will build this church is the hearts and minds of Christian people in new life, getting a hold of God, spending time in the word, spending time in prayer, and reaching out and ministering and evangelizing their community and, and reaching into the lives and helping others in their times of joy, their times of normality, and their times of difficulty. That's what will help. That's what will build this church. We have to bring ourselves back to that. We cannot rely on the world for everything. We've seen that in the realm of Christians jumping into the political realm. 
We expect Washington, D.C. to settle our issues and to solve our problems. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We need to incorporate the Bible into our lives and make sure that our church is built on the Word of God. If the world, if our church, if we expect our church to continue to succeed in reaching our community, then we must continue to reject worldly methods that tell us that what we need, what, tell us what we need. We must continue to reject the worldly wisdom and false truth. And we've got to continue to strive for biblical truth, leadership, and unity. Now listen, you, you make a statement like that and all of a sudden everybody thinks, well, you want to be this little cloistered group that, that doesn't have any part of the world. Not at all. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we need to go to the Bible first. And the Bible needs to be our foundation and source for everything. And the decisions we make in life, we make according to biblical wisdom and teaching. That's what I'm talking about. Understanding that, got real quiet in here, okay? <laughs> Understanding that, that gives you a little more substance to what I mean by when we start ministries and do things here, it must be done according to the church structure and according to the church philosophy. Okay? Does that, does that make sense to everybody where we're going with this? Now, we cannot afford to have personal agendas. We cannot afford to have individual priorities. We cannot afford in this church to have divided, divided loyalties. We must function, operate, minister, and love the way the Bible tells us to. If we don't, it's anarchy. Spiritual anarchy. Everybody going their own way. I've been in churches like that. I've talked to, to pastors who have taken over churches. I had, I had one pastor, a church, actually a church I worked at out in Missouri. The, when, the, when one pastor took over, there were over 50 different bank accounts with the church's name on it. 50 different bank accounts with the church name on it. I'm, I'm not a businessman, but even I know that's trouble. Okay? That's a problem. Somebody goes and bounces checks and, and does all kinds of things, and now the church is left hanging for it. See, there's danger when we just take things into our own hands and do things our own way. So we've got to make sure that we, we follow according to structure. The Bible says that all things must be done decently and in order with structure, consistency, and unity. What that means is beyond the pastoral leadership of our church, each of you as members here must take personal responsibility for your own spiritual growth and practice and take advantage what, at, about, of what is offered here in this church to help you grow and succeed. And I'll be, so, and this is another, something other pastors won't say, but I will say it, okay? Because I'm, I, I'm not here to build my own kingdom. I'm not here to rack up numbers to make myself look like anything special. I'm here, my goal in, my, in life is to connect people with Jesus Christ and for you to grow. And if you can't do it here, if this isn't the place for you, then I will connect you with a church where you can. It's not about building my own kingdom. It's about building his. And if this isn't the place for you, then we'll help you find a place that you can connect. We just want you to grow in your faith. Okay? And I'll never, be, I, I'll never be offended if somebody says, you know, you know this, we just had a family a couple weeks ago. It's, it's just not the place for us. Great. Well, can we help you find one? Because I don't want your family to go back to not being in church. Let's get you connected to a church. 
that, that will meet your needs because I know we don't meet everybody's need. It's, it's okay. We're not offended by that, okay? For these unshakable truths and everything I just said, as the pastor of New Life Church, for that philosophy of ministry, man, I'll go down swinging. I really do. I will fight for the integrity of my church. I'll fight for the unity of my church. We have got to hold it together. We have got to stand strong because that's the only, the only thing. Just realize this. The only thing that stands between many of those people out there and hell is a church like this. If they don't, if a church like this doesn't exist, many people out there will never have the opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ and they'll die in their sins and spend eternity in hell. That's what's at stake here. I don't care about personal agendas. I don't care about personal egos. I care about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, some quick statistics and quotes from others to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. 31% of American adults identify as being born-again Christians. 31% of all American adults. That's roughly one-third of, of, of American society adults identify as being born-again Christians. However, 75% of American adults identify themselves as Christian. Okay? So you've got 75% who identify as Christian, but only 31% who identify as being born again. And we're going to give you, in just a minute, I'll give you a biblical understanding and walk you through what it means to be born again. About 62% of the American population claims to be a member of a church congregation. What these statistics tell us is that over half of those in America who claim to be part of a church don't know Jesus in a personal way. Okay? So over half of, of American citizens who are in church don't know Jesus as their Savior. Therefore, that is why the worldly methods are seeping into the church because they don't understand. The Bible says when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside you. And what the Holy Spirit does, he, the, he, remember when Jesus said, it's important that I go away because when I go away, the Father will send the comforter or the teacher. The Holy Spirit has come to indwell us and is teaching us and helping us to understand. He's breaking down scripture and giving us understanding of how to live life as a believer. How to follow Jesus' way. You ask, he will answer. You seek, he will show you where to find it. You knock, and he will open the door to wisdom. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. But over half of the churches in America are filled with people who don't have a connection to Jesus Christ and don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. That's why we see people in churches doing things that are not biblical and scriptural because they don't know what's biblical and scriptural. Let's, let's be honest, it would be foolish to think that in a church that has over 200 people in it, someone didn't come from a church like that. Follow me? I'm not saying that's bad. I'm, I'm glad people come to a church that, that, that is founded on biblical principles. But when people come from other places, we've got to make sure that we understand the Bible is still the right way and we're not going to water it down. Therefore, when we take up our individual responsibility to get involved in church, we have to do it according to the way that is laid down. Now, I will say this. 
Not all churches are God's true house. And not all those who claim to be Christians are temples of the Holy Spirit. Understand that. Not all churches are God's true house. And not all people who claim to be Christians are temples of the Holy Spirit. Just because someone says, I'm a Christian, we need to go beyond that and find out what they mean. If you, it, I'm not saying you put people on the spot and ask for their Christian ID card. No, they're going to be wrong. But we live in a day and age where we cannot take that for granted anymore. Does that make sense? We've got to make sure when we, run, when we operate a church and we work together in a church that we understand what we're doing here and why we're doing it and what our foundation is. Some quotations. C.S. Lewis says, I believe there are too many practitioners in the church who are not believers. It's not a new thing. C.S. Lewis, he, he wrote um, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, the Chronicles of Narnia. Right? He was a good friend of J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote uh, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. And uh, he was a Christian man. He was an atheist who found Christ. And now this was back in the, back in the 20s and the 30s uh, that he wrote this. So this is not a new issue. This is something that's gone on for a long time. Francis Bacon said, nothing doth mu so much keep men out of the church and drive men out of the church as breach of unity. T.S. Eliot says, the church must be forever building for it is forever decaying within and attacked from without. That's a powerful statement, man. The church has got to continue to build because it's always struggling to maintain what we're talking about. And, and I, the Holy Spirit would have led me to, to prepare this message if it, wasn't, if it wasn't necessary. Okay, so we have to understand that in, in, there are no perfect churches. And even in a church that we think we, that, that we love so much and we, we think is go, so much is going well, there are always going to be struggles. And we always have to keep ourselves in check. So we have to understand that the church must continue to grow. And the individuals in the church must continue to grow and build themselves because we're always decaying from within. I'll be transparent. There are days when I, I just feel like uh, a lousy wretch. And I, I don't want to do what God has called me to do. It becomes overwhelming at times. But those are the days where I have to try hardest and, and really dig in. And as my father used to quote all the time, pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. You dig in to your faith. You dig into your word. We don't run away. We stand our ground and we fight. And we have to continue to grow because the church is always decaying from within and we're always being attacked from the outside. And there are times when there's battles inside the church and battles outside the church and you're stuck in the middle. What do you do in those times? You stand for truth. You stand for what's right. Billy Graham says, churchgoers are like coals in a fire. When they cling together, they can keep the flame aglow. When they separate, they die out. And Tyler Edwards says this, and I love this. I love this quote. It'll be up on the screen. Bombs have kill radiuses. Churches should have love radiuses. Anyone within 20 miles of a church should know it. You're a, a, a present-day military man. What is the... I remember when I was in, they told us, um, what's that? No, no, a, a nuclear bomb. Oh, I, I just watched that. <laughs> yeah. what, what's the nowadays, I don't know what the, the kiloton, what the, the kill radius is. Yeah, 
which is over 500 square kilometers. They told it in basic training, they gave us the training that if you see a nuclear blast ahead of you, you turn away from it, put your weapon on your chest and lay down and lay your feet. I was like, and, but one drill sergeant said, but, but guys, listen, soldiers, listen. If you can see it, you're dead. Okay? And <laughs> what's that? Yes, you're protecting your weapon because the guy that comes after you needs to pick up your weapon. Um, I love the comparison. A bomb is a destructive weapon of war, and it has a kill radius that anyone within that radius doesn't have a chance. What if, what if our church had an effective love radius? that everyone within 20 miles or 10 miles, whatever you want to set, of our church knew that new life was a place of love and grace and mercy. And we had that reputation. Can I tell you, we're getting that reputation. I have guys, old guys at the gym, because that's when I work out now. I work out with the old people. I, I get there and it's all old people there. It's cool because all the machines are open because they're, they're all doing their classes. Or they're, right, Lewis? I see you there, man. They're all doing their little dance classes. And listen, I'm 100% white. I'm not going to do a dance class. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> um, not going to happen. Um, but all the machines are open, man. And it's a great time to work out because the gym is free. Um, but I have them ask me all the time. Or, or comments all the, hey, John, I drive by your church on Sunday mornings. Your parking lot's getting really full. Like, well, stop in sometime, man. Old people are allowed here too, you know? And uh, so we're getting that reputation. But what if, what if, or I say what when, when, that doesn't even make sense. When we get that reputation, how awesome are we each contributing to that? That's what it boils down to. Are we each doing our best to contribute to the effective growth of our church? So what's the point of all this? What's the big idea? It's this. We as individuals need to take a personal inventory of our spiritual lives as they relate to our church. We need to take a personal inventory of our spiritual lives as it relates to the church. Are we seeing our church and our role in the church our relationships within the church, and our loyalty to the ministry of our church through the lens of the Bible. Notice I said loyalty to the ministry of our church and not loyalty to our pastor. I don't want your loyalty. That's not what I'm here for. I don't want to be lifted up as the, the, the anything. I am simply the guy that, that's, that occupies the office of pastor in this church. Mama named me John, you call me John, Okay. Dad did too. But understand, when I take that attitude, you also need to realize that there is respect for that office that needs to be given. And you need to commit to follow the leadership of that office, whether it's me or if Zach is acting in that capacity. Or should God take me away, the next person that fills this spot. We have to understand that. <clears throat> are we seeing it that way or are we seeing our church through worldly eyes, not caring about biblical truth, but simply wanting to play at being in church? Are we here for the game of religion 
Are, are, or are we here for the kingdom of God? Our text gives us a great starting point. Let's go ahead and read 1 Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. How do we find, how do we go about finding the answers to the questions about how we see church and ourselves within it? I think there's, there's some choices in our lives, some points we need to reach in our lives, some checkpoints that we need to reach in our lives that we need to be honest about. Stands we must make for ourselves truthfully and purposefully before we can ever honestly serve faithfully and effectively within our church. There's some checkpoints we need to reach and checkpoints we need to make sure of in our lives. And that's what this message is going to be. And it's, I'm sure it's going to carry on over into next week as well. But some checkpoints we need to reach and we need to be honest. Listen, folks, if you are not being honest with yourself about your spiritual condition, you're not doing yourself any good. You're not doing your family any good. And you're surely not doing your church any good. It is painful. I'm going to be, if you haven't noticed, this is a very, um, it's a very transparent message, this message. This is not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to take a spiritual inventory. And it's, a, it's even more difficult to be honest when you take that spirit, spiritual inventory. Because nobody likes to admit that we have shortcomings. Nobody likes to admit that we're having problems. Nobody likes to admit that there's a part of our lives as a Christian that we're just not measuring up to. But it's vital that we have to take those, 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 those stands and, and take those, uh, those points and, and look at them. If, as, as chases, we laugh about just about everything. And I, I'll just say it this way. If you're the only one in the room that's not laughing, guess who didn't get the joke? Right? If you're the only one that doesn't understand that you have a problem and will not accept it, and, and you're the only one that doesn't know that you are struggling spiritually, then you're not being honest with yourself. You've got to be honest about your spiritual walk, your spiritual state. If not, then you're going to, as that quote said, you're going to begin decaying from within. And you're going to struggle. Now, we're going to struggle no matter what spiritually. There's always going to be difficulties that we're going to hit. But when you're walking with the Lord and you're doing your best to stand firm on the word of God, those difficulties make a whole lot more sense. The struggles that you're going through, you can see that I may not like this, but I know God is using this and there's going to come a time where this really, really matters in my life. So what's the first po checkpoint? The first checkpoint is this. We've got to start at the beginning. And I, I, I don't know, mentor after mentor, my father as he was teaching me how to preach and, and pastor and other pastors that, that helped develop me, always said this, don't ever assume everybody you're talking to knows what you're talking about and don't ever assume everybody that you're preaching to knows Jesus Christ as their savior. So let's start at the beginning, shall we? The first checkpoint spiritually that you need to reach and be honest about is this, the point of salvation. The point of salvation. Will you choose Jesus? Will you choose Jesus in your life? There's no other true option. There's no other true choice. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the choice. 
we were watching a show on, on Netflix, and it was kind of a fun show, billed as a family show, but I, I banned my boys from watching it ever again. Because in that show, the woman, the grandmother, who was the, the godly woman who was going to church and, and making sure the Bible was strong in her house, was swayed by her, daughter in, her, her, uh, her daughter-in-law to read some other religious books and accept them as truth and, admit, and actually said there were other prophets just like Jesus. Like, oh, oh. And my boys looked at me and said, Daddy, is that true? Oh, absolutely not. No how, no way. We're not watching this show again. You see, the, and, and, and in, the, in the show, they brought those books into their Bible study. And now they're studying, and, and it's a TV show. It's, it, it's a TV show, but it's a symptom of what's going on. No, 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 no. The Word of God is our truth. We don't water down Scripture. We don't accept, I reject everything else. Well, you're narrow-minded. Okay. Guilty as charged. I'm still heartbroken. I still think the Dodgers are going to win the World Series. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, they lost. They're out of it, but I'm pretty focused and narrow-minded. Okay? <clears throat> you can call me narrow-minded, but, but look at this. Let me ask you this question. Is two plus two four? I think you're narrow-minded. Well, no, that's the truth. Okay, but I think you're narrow-minded. I think it should be whatever you want it to be. No, it's four. No, 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 no. We don't want to tell a child that they're wrong. We don't want to hurt their psyche. But it's four. If I have two apples and I add two apples, I'm going to have four apples. No, it's relative. No, 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 no. But see, that's why. And if, when you come to me with religion, I'm convinced that Jesus is the Christ and the word of God is absolute truth. So if you call me narrow-minded about that, that's fine. Because I believe it's truth. Now, as we dig into this, we see that the Bible tells us there is no other option. There is no other choice. Jesus is the answer. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells us there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name uh, under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Saved from what? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be born again? I gave you those statistics at the beginning. Maybe you're here and, listen, and you're looking at me and you're saying... Well, what does that mean? I'm a Christian. What do you mean I have to be born again? Understand, Christian is a title that was given to followers of Christ by the world. It's not a title that Jesus gave to us. What Jesus said to us as human beings is this. You must be born again. We should embrace that, that, that moniker, being born again. Because Christians was a mocking term that was given to us. You're a little Christ. And they didn't mean it in a nice way. But Jesus himself said, you must be born again. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be born again? Let me walk you through it according to the word of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever been born is a sinner. You may not like that. It may offend you. I understand it. Nobody likes to be told they're a sinner, but that's what the Bible says. We are born that way. Perfect cannot come from imperfection. If you want to blame somebody, blame Adam and Eve. It just, it's just the way it is. Well, I don't want to accept it. Okay, accept it, don't accept it, but it's truth. We've got to be able to get beyond that. We don't need to stop and argue and debate the main point. You just have to accept truth. That's the way it is. You, don't, you may not like it, but that's the way it is. 
And because we are sinners, that has created a problem. That has created a division. Because imperfection cannot stand before a perfect and holy God. We cannot get back to the presence of God on our own. There's a penalty for what we've done. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The penalty for sin was death, and, what, and, and it's not the physical death that's, that's the real penalty. The real penalty is separation from the presence of God. Because we are sinners, there is absolutely no hope in and of ourselves of, of being reunited with God in heaven. There are those who will tell you there are many paths to heaven, but there's not. That's just a way to avoid the truth. The Bible says there's one way, and that way is through Jesus Christ. That's our problem. Because of our sin, we're separated from God. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you're saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. What that means is combined with these other verses, it's saying to us, listen, you're separated from God, and there's nothing you can do to change that. Well, I live my life as a good person. When I get to heaven... I believe that the balances are going to be weighed out and, and my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds and they're going to let me in. That's just a man-made concoction to make you feel good about yourself. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says that. It's not there. The Bible says without Jesus Christ, you will be separated from God for, for all eternity. Well, that's okay. That's not so bad. Well, <laughs> separated from God in a place called hell for all eternity. Well, what, <laughs> you're saying there's no hope in myself. So what's that all about? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we'll die? No. The beauty of Jesus Christ and the beauty of God's plan is that he brought hope to the world. Romans 5, 8. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whew. He proved, he demonstrated, he showed his love for us. And while we were the ones with the problem, he brought the solution. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Hope was brought to the world through Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate Christmas, right? Because hope came to the world, man. The beginning, the, the end of the beginning had begun. How's that? The end of the beginning had begun. That's awesome. Jesus came to earth to pay the price for your sins. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hey, man, we go from ultimate loser to ultimate winner, right? We go from the ultimate loser with no hope to now the ultimate hope for all eternity. How awesome is that? Amazing, amazing turn of fate. But understand this, there really is only one true way to heaven through accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Matthew 7, verses 13 through 15, Jesus put it this way, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the, ro and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come 
to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Some of you are, you may be sitting here saying, well, that's not the way I learned it. That's not what I heard. That's not what I believe. I believe that all roads eventually lead to heaven. That's what I saw on the Oprah network, right? That's not what the Bible teaches. And, and we've had, I've had people that want to, want to teach in our church before that believe that. And I've had to sit down and say, listen, we've got to go through some, <laughs> we've got to go through some classes here. Because that's not at all what the Bible teaches. There's only one way. You need to understand that. There's only one way to heaven. Here's, here's the, one, the one responsibility that's been placed on us as human beings and placed on you as a human being as it, as it comes to the hope of Jesus Christ and the plan of eternal salvation. It's a free gift. It's an absolutely free gift. It's like Christmas time. Right? I always use this illustration at Christmas time. Uh, I'll use myself, okay? My wife, she loves me. And, and she buys, at Christmas time, she wants to buy me a present. Usually something of a Dodgers or Rams paraphernalia nature. And I love it. Well, she puts a lot of time and effort into it and a lot of thought. She goes in and she buys that gift or orders it on Amazon. And it arrives. And she finds the perfect box to put that gift in. She wraps it with care and love. She doesn't allow me to wrap presents very often. Because I just, I think Walmart provides your own wrapping paper in the form of a plastic bag. A little bit of tape. Name tag. We're all set. She'll wrap that box. And she'll put a bow on it. Because Aaron likes bows. And then the most important step, she'll write my name on it. That means that that gift is intended for me. She'll put that gift under the tree. And as long as Teddy doesn't get out and get under the tree, that gift will sit there until Christmas morning. And on Christmas morning, either Aaron or Gabriel or Michael will reach over and grab that gift and hand it to me. Now, all this time, Erin has shopped for it. Erin has found the perfect box. She's wrapped it. She's put a bow on it. She wrote my name on it. She put it under there. All that she did intending that gift for me, it has my name on it. But that gift does not become mine until it's handed to me and I take possession of it. Does that make sense? Once I take possession of that gift, now it's mine. Now I can wear that stocking cap. Now I can put those socks on. I've got, I've got Rams socks on. They were a Christmas gift. I've got Rams socks, yes. I can now, I, it's now mine. I own it. It's mine. And it's mine forever. It's the same thing with the eternal gift of salvation. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. And he has presented this gift to you. He did all the work. And it has your name on it. It's intended for you. The only thing you have to do is take possession of it. Romans 10, 9, <clears throat> 10, 13. For whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. No, no, you don't understand. You don't know who I am. You don't know the things I've done. 
There is no way, there's no hope for me. Yes, there is. Because God's word says, whoever. Listen, if Jesus could save me, if Jesus wanted to save me, he could and wants to save you. If Jesus died for everybody else, then he died for you. And that gift of eternal life is there waiting for you. If you're watching us on Facebook today, Jesus died for you. He's provided this gift for you. The gift is intended for you. The gift has your name on it, but it will never be yours until you take possession of that gift. Well, how do you do that? This is a a very controversial thing right now. It shouldn't be. The Bible very clearly says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved on the cross. On the cross, while Jesus is dying, beaten, battered, bruised, nails in his hands and feet, crown of thorns on his head, bleeding out, dying of asphyxiation and a broken heart. A thief says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. The first convert under the, under the, the, the new grace paradigm of salvation. If it worked for the thief on the cross, and if it applied to the thief on the cross, then it applies to you. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How do you do that? Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Well, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I wonder this morning, I know we've, we've, it's been kind of a heavy message. I understand that. But this last part, folks, that first point of decision in your life, I wonder this morning if, if that spoke to you and you say this. You know, Pastor John, with nobody looking around, I just need to be really honest. And uh, I have never hit that point in my life where I can honestly say I've accepted Jesus Christ. Listen, I call myself a Christian. And... I will, I'll, I'll do all that and, and I'll claim to be a Christian, but I've never really accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. This morning, I just want to raise my hand and acknowledge that to you. Is there anybody that would just say that? Listen, folks. We preach messages like this and we share the gospel, not just so people can accept Christ, but also so you can be prepared to share your faith with others. You go to the next slide. A simple prayer is what will bring someone to salvation. If you look up at the screen, you can see a sample prayer. And if you're here this morning, you didn't want to raise your hand. Or if you're, if you're dealing with someone who, needs, who, who wants to know Jesus Christ or is battling with this, this is a sample of a prayer that you can walk them through as soon as they gets up on the screen. Is it there? There it is. Something as simple as this. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and don't deserve your grace. I know that I can't forgive my own sin, but I know that you died to forgive my sin. I acknowledge my need for grace. I ask you to forgive me for my sin and I accept your free gift of salvation. I invite you into my heart and ask you to save me. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Now you don't have to say those exact words. But that's, that's a, an example of what we call a sinner's prayer. And if you're watching on Facebook, if you, if you confess in your heart 
that, that prayer to Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us clearly, you have just accept, you've just asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart. You've taken ownership of that gift of salvation. You've been given the grace of God and you are eternally secure and safe in the arms of Jesus Christ. Folks, there are some, there are some requirements that we have in our church to be, to be, to be full-fledged members or to be leaders or things like that. This is the first one. As you know, Jesus Christ is your Savior. This is what we're here for. What I just spent all, all that time talking about, this is what we're here for. We're here to share the message of love and grace and forgiveness with a world that needs Jesus more than anything. You want to know about our philosophy of ministry? It's right there. You want to know what we're here for? It's right there. We're here to tell people about Jesus Christ and bring them to a point of decision. Would you bow in prayer? Let's close out. Thank you, Lord, so much for the opportunity to be in your house today. Lord, for the opportunity to share your word. Father, your word says that it will never return void, that all seed that's scattered will find soil of some kind. Lord, whatever, whatever was needed in this message for whoever heard it, God, I pray that it will find that good soil and that it will begin the maturing process in their lives of growth and fruitfulness. Lord, our church is doing so well. I'm so proud to be a new lifer and so proud to be part of this church. I pray, God, as we continue to go through these, these times of growth, that we'll remember to make sure we're bringing everybody along with us and that we're all on the same page and that we keep that unity of spirit and love and grace together. Because, God, the last thing we want to do is have division or have struggle and lose people and, and watch people fall away. God, I pray that each and every one of us, as we listen to this message, as we go through this message, we'll, do, we'll, we'll ask ourselves these difficult questions at these certain checkpoints so that we will be as close to you as we possibly can be so that we can be as passionate as we possibly can be as servants of yours. Lord, as we go from this place, would you bless us? Would you keep us close to you? God, may we take every opportunity to walk through every open door. And may we give you the praise and glory for it all. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.